0: always try to find the shape of data, which you can think as a, the best visualization highlighting the, the trends or the kind of patterns within the data set. And now when you work with generative algorithms, you feed it data, but then you kind of has almost a slider, how much that impacts the final look, how, versus how much you let the algorithm go on by itself.
1: Welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. My name is Moritz Stefan and I'm an independent designer of data visualizations. In fact, I work as a self-employed truth and beauty operator out of my office here in the countryside
2: in the north of Germany. And I am Enrico Bertini. I am a professor at NYU in New York City, where I do research and teach data visualization.
1: That's right. And on this podcast, together we talk about data visualization, data analysis, and generally the role data plays in our lives. And usually we do that together with a guest we invite on the
2: show. Exactly. But before we start, just a quick note. Our podcast is listener supported, so there's no ads. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us with recurring payments on patreon.com slash datastories. Or if you prefer, you can also send us one-time donations on PayPal by going to paypal.me slash datastories. Right. That's
1: always much appreciated uh, when we receive something or if we have a new patron, it's always cast a smile on our faces. And (laughs) so always good. So, Enrico, how did you start into the brand new decade, the, the wild, the <laughs> roaring 20s?
2: It feels like I didn't start yet, except <laughs> okay. that we, we now asleep. are recording and it's like, oh, <laughs> finally I'm doing something after the holidays. So it's <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's the best <laughs> way to start. It's a good feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Relaxed. I'm relaxed yeah, yeah, still. Yeah, yeah. I don't so know yeah. how long it's going to last, but today I'm relaxed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> how about you? Pretty
1: good as well. Pretty smooth transition. And yeah, last year started, uh, ended really well. Uh, we won a prize. So together oh. with Lena Klaus and Sky Murray, uh, two friends oh, and colleagues that we're working with. Yeah. And we took part in the ocean plastic challenge from National Geographic and uh, conceptualized a data sculpture in Bali made from trash on the beach, like thousands uh-huh. of pieces. Yeah, And they assembled this huge Sankey diagram. I could imagine <laughs> it's the largest Sankey diagram in the world. <laughs> so it has like 14 meters <laughs> diameter. So let me know if you have ever made a bigger one. And anyways, we won this prize. So that, that was a nice, nice way to end the last year. Did you get to go to Bali? I could have gone, but it didn't quite fit. But Sky and Lina, ah. Lena lives there anyways. And Sky went there and together ah. they, they built this thing. And it was very yeah. envious. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Next time. That would have been even better. <laughs> uh, uh. Enough about ourselves. Um, yeah. <laughs> of course, we
1: have a, we have a guest today on of the course. show. Uh, yeah. And, uh, our guest today is Martin Ignatz from Variable from London. Hi, Martin. Hi, Marcin. Hi. Hi. Glad,
0: Glad to be here.
1: Great to have you on. It's, uh, you've been on our list for a long time. I know you for a very long <laughs> time. We've been like following our work for, for many, many years now. I'm super happy to have you on. I don't know if you know Marcin's work, but uh, he and his small studio in London, they create really stunning work at sort of at the borderline between data visualization and generative design and data art and you know experimental graphics and high-end 3D stuff. And it's a really, really interesting and cool, cool work over all the years. So um, yeah, Marcin, can you introduce yourself a bit? Tell us a bit about some of your like maybe most characteristic projects so people get an impression of of what you do.
0: Uh Sure. So yeah, as you said, uh, I'm marching nuts and I always call myself a data artist and a computational designer. Um, Since 2012, I live in London where I start my own studio. And nowadays we are three. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like the projects we are doing are, as you said, there's usually a data component involved, but we kind of try to go beyond the usual type of chart you might might see in a data visualization. So, for example, we this year, one of our best projects was for IBM, where they provide all the IT infrastructure for Wimbledon championships Mm -hmm. in tennis. And we took the data about player stats or match statistics and cybersecurity events and weather patterns and so on and represented them both as generative flowers, as a large scale screen installation, but also provided interface to navigate the data sets and kind of explain you the data behind it at the same time. Uh, Sometimes we work with researchers. So we had that opportunity to work with Julie Freeman on visualizing rat, mole rat colony. (laughs) 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 It was uh, again, mashup between Tracking uh, well animals in that case and data visualization a bit of storytelling and a data art piece uh, connected to that and then quite of quite a few of our projects are beyond the screen sometimes related to print sometimes uh, um, more embedded in the space and one of my favorite projects uh, is a project we did for Nike about visual- visualizing personal health data or kind of sport metrics you can say called fibers where we kind of look at your training throughout the week and we create like a 3D sculpture based on that data set
1: yeah and, and you should check out the website variable.io there's many many amazing projects from yeah these uh 8 9 years now of of studio activity so Really great output uh, so far, especially given that you're such a small team. Um, so we heard about like generative design, data art, data visualization, uh, using these terms. So in your mind, like what what are the differences there? What are the commonalities? Uh, is data art maybe as some people might think it's just taking really good looking data vis but having no legend or like leaving out the labels? <laughs> or is there like more to it? Uh, like how does it work? And, and what are the
0: differences? I think. On the most basic level, the the difference is that data visualization is concerned about explaining the underlying data and helping you to understand the concepts or the, the subject matter. Mm-hmm. And data art is coming with a similar goal, but it's trying to communicate this, those concepts through emotions or more like your subconscious mm-hmm. response instead of a set of numbers or, or shapes. So if you come to differences, I would say like both data visualization and generative design are kinds of parametric systems and what differentiates Mm -hmm. the two is the types of inputs and the flexibility of choosing the right output for the visualization. Mm -hmm. So for example, in data visualization, the input might be a set of numbers describing some phenomena and the output is a bar chart or different kind of chart or a map. And now uh, in generative system. We start with initial set of conditions, which are often random. And then through applying an algorithm, we arrive at complex structure like a tree or a swarm behavior of a flock of birds. And where data comes, data art comes into play is kind of on the spectrum between those two. So, like, the input is still the data that control parts of the generative system. And it's worth noting that those generative systems are often autonomous, growing and evolving Mm -hmm. on their own over time. And now it's up to the designer to decide how much of the final form is controlled by the data and how much is controlled by the pseudo random process or artistic choice. So you kind of, it's all about giving up control in a way to the algorithm or the data set or making a statement as an artist instead Mm -hmm. of sticking directly. Okay. This is what data says and that that's it in a very Kind of minimalistic form, mm. very utilitarian form.
2: So I think what is interesting here is that if 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 legibility is not the goal, which is normally a very very important goal in data visualization and I would mm. say in more functional kind of visualizations, how would you describe what are the objectives of 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 data arts in general? If there are any any explicit objectives that you can can mention there,
0: I would say like in terms of Data art is usually the the best the sp- best part of data art is the kind of force of attraction. so you know data art is this new weird, interesting art form that is very interesting and different from what the let's say classical types of data visualizations are and I think that's the strongest power of uh, of data art that nowadays we're quite immune to, to, to database, I see, you know, yet another bar chart of number of fires in Australia
2: <laughs> yeah. and I, and I yeah, move on, exactly. I, I move yeah.
0: on. Right. I mean, yeah. it, it's, you always talk about context, but in terms of database, but context is often in the longer piece of text that nobody has time to read. And so like, for me, I get much more stronger emotional response from the photos that are accompanying those bar charts. And mm-hmm. then to verify yeah. them, I look at the charts. Mm-hmm. and I think data art, data art has this opportunity to kind of combine best parts of both where we can generate this emotional response backed by data or supported by data
2: mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah no I think what what is interesting here i think personally when i when I think about art in general and data art more specifically right it's not only about transferring knowledge but it's more like in a way, maybe there's a high higher value there in art, which is like what stays with you afterwards, right? It's mm-hmm. like what I, I what remember? I noticed personally yeah. is mm. that it's not only the fact. Of course, uh, data art may 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 also have as a purpose engagement, right? So attracting people in the first place. But I would say mm. what is really interesting when I personally experience something that is that feels art or artistic is that it keeps staying with me for a long time. I keep thinking about it over and over again, right? So I'm wondering if this resonates with your same ideas about data art.
0: Very much. And, you know, even in our studio tagline, we say we work on new ways of experiencing data and, you know, for I've I've given set of presentations where I say data is not a number, and if you think about data in terms of data art, you know, data can be a place, or data data can be a, yeah. a a creature, or data can be a system, or even even or a person, you know, <laughs> or exactly <laughs> a, a da- or or the p- set of people behind the data set, you yeah. know, and and yeah. it, it's uh, much more. Humane, so to say, or much more how, how we respond to things. Like, you know, even fake news, they don't operate on facts, they, they operate on emotions, right? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, sure. I do I want to compare data to fake news, but. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Slippery me- slope there. Yeah, me- yeah me- mechanisms are the same, right? Uh, so yeah, to say. Well, yeah, yeah. No, but I, th- and I think that's like, if we think about what were the big trends this decade, obviously, I think big part has been to move away from this minimalism and this very like police report style of data visualization <laughs> <laughs> to, like some call it like visual austerity, which I also like a lot, towards, yeah, saying, okay, sure, there are best practices, but it is also important how things make us feel and and how you know and, and and it and embellishment per se is not not a problem but it's actually can be an enrichment if it's done right and i think that's uh, it seems so obvious but <laughs> it, it was maybe forgotten a bit <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> in yeah. the age of austerity yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah but you can also have embellishment without a soul in a way right <laughs> this happens you can also well. have it's empty like embellishments right yeah, yeah. Right? so yeah. then you have yeah. rococo <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, is that a danger margin? Would you say, or is it like sometimes you 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 play so much with like a particle system, and it looks so nice and lushy. You say like, ah, let's <laughs> ship it. I can't remember what the data was, but it looks really awesome. <laughs> uh,
0: yes. So th- that's a that's a good question that they can tack from many sides. And so one way to interpret that would be: so what makes a bad data art, right? Okay. And uh, per- again, personally always try to find, so, so, so to say, the shape, shape of data, which you can think as a, the best visualization, highlighting the, the trends or the kind of patterns within the data set. And now when you work with generative algorithms, as I mentioned earlier, you, you feed it data, but then you kind of have almost a slider, how much that impacts the final look, how, versus how much you, so, so to say beautify it or. Let the algorithm go on by itself, and I would say bad data art is where I can't really tell if there was data sets behind it or not. You know, where it feels almost so random or so generic, or so much like another, yet another motion design piece, mm-hmm. or yet another particle system with pearly noise behind it that the kind of the meaning gets lost. And th- there's this very good essay. Speaking quite a lot of that called mm. Stone Soup Anyone mm-hmm. by <laughs> Alex verinsky mm-hmm. and he's trying to make a point that you know data art is art and good art should stand on its own mm-hmm. and sometimes it it doesn't make sense to to speak about data art as just art and yeah. if you if you focus that much on aesthetics, it's okay, but just accept that and, and mm. call this art. And, and
1: don't try and make it more valuable by saying, but it's also based on that very exclusive data set. And exactly. And if it doesn't show or if if you wouldn't have seen it at all, like why, why does it matter?
0: Well, exactly. And just to throw in an anecdote, we just finished a project where the initial data set was like six hundred pages of PowerPoint slides, <laughs> <laughs> and you know we we, we just,
1: every good project starts like this <laughs> exactly. <that's> yeah, like. <laughs> no,
0: yes, but you know, so we we threw like some natural language processing at it and some kind of like basic word stats and tags and Disney yeah. and whatnot and tried to map it and make <laughs> sense out of it. It it still didn't make any sense. So. Yeah. Um, at some point I, I, in all my presentations to the client, I was just saying art piece, not data art or anything, yeah. and we ended up with uh, one generative system that it's kind of morphing between seven different forms that represent seven different kind of uh, themes in this data set. And that's it. And that's my artistic interpretation and artistic choice and, yeah, you know, there were like, it would be nice to have data, but if we don't, it's fine. And let's, let's move on and yeah, but, but, but then again, on the other side is sometimes the data is interesting and you almost want to share it with the visitor or, um, user or depending mm-hmm. where, where the thing lives. And that's what we did with IBM project where we have this generative piece that actually starts with a particle system that's not data driven at all. That is an attractor that brings you to the to the space and then it transforms into those data driven pieces. But then uh, on top of that we have a data visualization on a tablet where you can switch between data sets, browse historical data and also mm-hmm. see the values of those numbers that drive the visualization. So you get both you get the experience and you get the knowledge in hey, one, one place. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and again, because you sit between these fields like more the motion design and the generative design and the branding and the data visualization, basically your projects could start from both ends, right? So you could start with a formal inspiration or a communication purpose and then, okay, can we find data that supports that somehow or that we can work into that? Or you could start with the data set and say like, okay, how can we make this an interesting experience that that also helps with the, the communication part, right?
0: Uh, yes, so that's exactly how people approach us. Like mm-hmm. some of them come with, you know, data sets and usually the follow-up question is, can we beautify it? <laughs> <laughs> wow.
1: <us. laughs> yeah, wow,
0: us. wow us. And, and the other, the other set of kind of briefs or projects we get is, uh, okay. We like what we do. We have this event or this, uh space or this you know project that requires some visuals and then here's what we think we have as a company and can you help us figure out if that's of any use or can is there anything interesting in this data or can we find better data sets to support our story? Uh, and and both projects are interesting. You know, both both yeah require different approaches and one starts with uh more kind of visual research and branding and generative systems that you hope will, you will have some data to plug into it later or not, but then as I just call it art. And another one is when you actually start with data set. And in that case, the process is very similar to, to what classical database uh, process mm-hmm. would be, you know, you acquire the parse filter and, and so on, right? The data kind of to the data science part at the beginning that only then lets you see what kind of data set you're dealing with and what would be the visual system that would support it best or communicate it best.
2: Yeah. And uh, that's very interesting. I suspect that you, you, you probably spend some time with your clients figuring out what the, yeah what the main concept is, is going to be right. Mm. And, um, I don't know. I have a little personal anecdote. I don't know if it's if it's relevant here, but I, I have a really good friend here in New York who is a photographer, and and working with him, I realized photography is not at all about taking the picture, right? That's that's <laughs> nothing, right? And when you talk with him, it's more like he walks me through what the concept could be right we, we've done a couple of things together and this mm. is where his strength is He's like wow he, he's coming up with all these ideas and a concept he he can envision it right so i'm 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 now wondering if what you're saying is, is if it's somewhat similar for you i guess of course of course in order to create these 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 stunning visuals you need a lot of technical skills but the the real value seems to me to be coming up with a really strong concept. Am I, am I off?
0: <laughs> no, not at all. Um, so I think, you know, if you have, if you have a strong concept that definitely makes the, the work better. And if, if you start with a uh, strong concept, the, the fight is then to kind of keep it pure, so to say, and not keep adding. Mm-hmm. More and more and more stuff <laughs> where the core idea gets lost and kind mm. of dilutes itself. Um, but then. Does it
1: help if you have like a metaphor that you can name or where you can say, ah, this yeah. is the flower, it's the crystal? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly, the, you know? Right? It,
2: or because that's what they Is see it, in, in, is it yeah, harder
1: in to sell like something yeah. super abstract and. and yes. Wild? Yeah, we, yeah.
0: We, we do draw lots of inspiration from nature, nature. and biology. Obviously. And, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. Kind of uh, classical works of Ernst Haeckel and yeah, th- yeah. those kind of things. Uh, the, the danger of the area we live in is that, you know, kind of the data is very heavy on the visual side, right? Especially digital data art mm. and the kind of not too far away fields are like motion design and, uh, 3d graphics and 3d rendering and mm. so on. So that comes with a big baggage of expectations in terms of quality of those visuals (laughs) and the speed at which you can produce such high quality results. And then what happens that uh, like okay we get data set and we do you know our bar charts in d 3 and some scatter plot in, <laughs> in Tableau or something and, 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 and people are like yeah where's the depth of field transparency yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and why does it doesn't move? And I'm like and then and then the next thing is 3D cubes in WebGL, right? And, yeah. Yeah. and the clients get nervous and the the, the, the The producer started scratching his or her (laughs) head and we have to explain ourselves a lot. And that's also, so yeah, so there's a lot of talking and explaining and kind of process charts and where are we on our journey? Mm. And you know, when you, when you work with 3d artists or, or, or motion designers, they can, they can produce high quality content quite quickly and then the kind of length in time of the piece dictates how much more work is left yeah.
1: to do. Yeah, and that's the thing. If you do something purely visual, you would do a mock-up really quick and and like a concept art thing really quick, yeah. so you can demonstrate the visual style. Mm. But for us, it's we can only do that towards the end when we have a good grasp on on the shape of the data, as you say, right? And so, how 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 do you bridge that that gap? Because that's something. Like in, in the, like the ad agency branding world, I found that always difficult to, um, to be successful without a really early mockup of a really polished end result. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. That's the thing. Like if
0: I, if I'm able to produce such a piece and it's, you know, generative data-driven yeah. software, I can produce thousands of them. Then it's finished one, already. Right? Yeah. One yeah. hour long each, you know, yeah. And, yeah. um, so so yeah it it is a challenge, and what you end up doing is providing references and now mm-hmm. which again you have to be careful because they can be misleading uh in terms of visual quality so i I much more prefer So okay so let's let's going back to the the i b m project like the agency sends out send send us have sent us a bunch of like particle system 3d visualization type of things. And in our brief, we responded only with pictures of flowers
2: <laughs> and
0: you know, ultra, like u- ultraviolet <laughs> lights or how insects <laughs> see them. And so, uh, 3d scans and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, like electron microscopes and stuff like that. But like that, that kind of. Protected us from locking onto aesthetics mm-hmm. quite easily. So and you
1: gave a hint of what the end result will be on a, but you didn't give it directly. But more on another like level, you took one extra corner to make sure you still have some, some leeway in in how you get to that aesthetic vision in general.
0: Yes, it was more to the communica- communicate the concepts like this. Right. Uh, Ultraviolet light or morphogenesis mm-hmm. instead of it's going to look like that. Because right. then what happens is, for example, in case of IBM, it, this show, this piece was shown outdoors during the tennis tournament. Mm-hmm. And we started with black background and very high tech throne look. Mm-hmm. Did they work at all because of the reflections? <laughs> so we changed the whole color scheme to bright colors and, oh wow yeah. and, and, you know, two weeks, not okay. Three weeks before deadline that usually wouldn't not be accepted. Right. And, <laughs> uh, and we, like, we had a good enough client that understood it and kind of went on with us on a journey to kind of trust us and, and it was ended up much better piece while. On another project, which was data driven, but a bit more on the generative side, um, basically what happened is that we came up with a better way to visualize data that drifted away from the original brief and it was rejected because that kind of visual style was sold to client already, to the client already, and there was no flexibility there. Mm-hmm. and especially with 3D graphics, you end up with this uncanny valley that something looks realistic, but a bit off because Mm -hmm. you know, it's interactive WebGL. We don't have enough resources or has to work on mobile. And and it, in my opinion, it ended up being a worse project because we didn't follow where it took us and we just stuck to this first reference, right? Mm -hmm. That that triggered that. Yeah.
1: That's a whole art of itself. Is when to present what, <laughs> in which
0: form. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's hard,
2: hard to explain, but it it can change a whole project for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it, it must be terrible when when you go to a client and 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 the person says, "Oh, can you just create this for me?" <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah.
0: I mean, I I mean think...
2: I, I'm i speaking from the luxury of not having this problem. So <laughs> I I kind of like feel, feel the pain, you know, yeah.
0: You, you do see references of other people, you know, unlabeled and our own projects in pitches or briefs to ourselves. And yeah, you always have mixed feelings and we have rejected <laughs> projects in the past that I just wanted to copy something uh, mm-hmm. or recreate it. And yeah, you just have to be a oh, Honest with them and just speak up your mind, I guess.
1: Yeah. But for that you need a bit of standing and, and other alternatives, <laughs> of course. And <laughs> so that takes a while to, to develop that that standing yeah. 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 Um coming back to your process and also this I, I like this idea of like thinking on your feet all the time and like being able to, to change the background in a project like two weeks before a deadline or three weeks. Mm-hmm. I think that only works if you have Really solid grasp on your own like tooling and and your own like development processes and I think that's also unique about your work is like how how tight you integrate the design and the code and and how how it's the same thing basically probably mm. and uh, I also know you you work a lot on your own tools so you had this PEX framework for many years now yes and you have a new visual programming environment which is insane. Oh, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> can you tell us a bit about th- these two things?
0: Uh, sure. Uh, so yes, it's, it's true that 99% of our projects are based on code. And nowadays what you see on our website, 95 is JavaScript and WebGL yeah. and not so much on the web actually. So. Yes, we can deploy experiences that run in the browser or mobile, but we do a lot of like large scale projections and installation, physical spaces, and it's all powered by the set of JavaScript libraries called PEX, uh, which is specialized in 3D graphics, not so much with data visualization, Mm -hmm. but you can say it's kind of like D3 for 3D. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and <laughs> you should
2: patent that or like trademark yeah. that phrase. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> perfect tagline.
0: So we actually do use a lot of uh, D three, uh, but only for like you know scales filtering and the kind yeah. of the data processing side. Not so much for the. Um, visual, visualization at least in the final stage for the next it's dex- a general flow-ish.
1: trend like everybody uses react and you know just uses the color scales and the the projections you know because these are awesome, but the the paradigm itself is sort of
0: I yeah, know, I yeah. still have to look it up to, to yeah the, exactly. the update and now it's yeah. there's some join
1: enter join yeah yeah select so, all. yeah
0: yeah so so that's Bex, and that's been going on for nine years ever since. WebGL kind of came to Chrome back then. Mm-hmm. And the first project we did it with was 9.5.org, where we visualize earthquakes on top of 3D globe. Mm-hmm. And I did this project with Dean McNami and kind of fell in love with WebGL and kind of start wrapping the classes I use and the algorithms in uh, PEX. So nowadays we also have PEX Render, which is one of the libraries. Which is similar to Three JS or Babylon JS. So it's more like a scene graph with fancy shaders and post processing and this kind of this kind of stuff. And a lot of work we do as you know has components that could be reused in, in, in different projects. And one of the one of the issues that comes where you work with browsers or creative coding in general is this you know edit compile reload loop. Which, uh, when it comes to like data visualizations is especially disruptive because you have to reload the data set, parse it again, and then like re-render the whole thing. And that's partially fixed in a database environment like Jupyter Notebook or observable where, you know, once you evaluate a cell that state stays there and you can continue your work and just keep editing the last step to, to build new visualization. And in 3D graphics, the type of environments that give you similar capabilities uh, are usually built around node-based systems or visual programming tools like VVVV or Cables GL or Houdini or uh, Pure Data and so on. They are also used in music production quite a lot. So two years ago, we started working on our own tool called Nodes. Back then, it was called PexNodes, now just notes, notes.io, And basically, nodes as a visual programming environment focusing on database and 3D graphics, but that's just because we use it this way, but actually, it's quite flexible. It's a code editor, you can do anything mm-hmm. with it. It's powered by NPM, so I can use D3, I can use 3JS, I can use machine learning libraries, there's TSNI and what, whatever you find on NPM basically, and the beauty of it is that it's actually more a code editor than visual programming tool. So you still write a lot of code and you can write five lines of code per, per this code module of 500 or 5,000 if you want it. And that's kind of what differentiates it from other visual programming tools, which are primarily focusing on the connecting boxes with, with, with links.
1: Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you have a lot of boxes and a lot of links and it becomes yeah. a big mess. Yeah. You get spaghetti. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and so how many, like what's a healthy like number of nodes in, in in your approach? Like, Like some of your more complex projects, how many
0: nodes would they have? Like
1: dozens or hundreds or... Five. <laughs> well, yeah. Like
0: uh, 150. Yeah. Yeah. You, okay. you can do that. Yeah. yeah. But, but it's the f- still
1: something you can get on one screen and have an overview and sort of yes understand where things are.
0: Yeah. Yes. And then uh, so that's the thing because we still use you know Reacts and similar. So mm-hmm. we kind of store a couple of ideas in terms of state management and data flow, the top-down data flow and reactivity from those kind of frameworks. So. The number of links that are actually on the screen is not that overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And the there is different ways of managing your data flowing through the graph. Yeah. And,
1: and the beautiful beautiful thing of like visual programming for data visualization is obviously that you actually use a data visualization, a network graph, to code, which is, you know, it's like I think it's such a good like dogfooding exercise, also to like actually do something, like produce code in a visual paradigm, just to understand how we can act in visualization space, right? Normally you just read and consume, but here you construct it, right? I think that's that's super interesting and, and really not exploited enough.
0: True. Like on our website, we call nodes like a, a canvas for computational thinking mm-hmm. and. <laughs> I, at the beginning, I said, I, I see myself as a computational designer, which I'll define as a person who solves design problems with computation or code. And the, the beauty of Nodes and how it changed my workflow is that instead of from this kind of computer science approach where you like think what you want to do and like write your classes or the algorithm, and then you kind of test it, okay, it doesn't work, you go about the code. Da, da, da. It's much more explorative uh, process, uh, very much like sketching, you know, where you build a little examples, which is maybe a simple visualization. And then in the same graph, I can add a 3d components, mm-hmm. take my data processing pipeline. We've already parsed data because state is uh, persistent. We can reload any part of code. While the graph is running and while the visualization is happening and then jump into 3D. And then once that, once this is done, I can export this an image or make a 3D mesh out of it and export for 3D printing or something. And mm-hmm. all there as a part of a single session, right? So it becomes more like a workspace, more like a your studio than, than piece of code and the code editor. Mm-hmm. More like Lego. <laughs> yeah. Lego techniques. Lego techniques, yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, but I, I think there is a general trend in visualization to try to create tools that make it easier, as you were saying, first of all, yeah. to see when you change something, to see the change appear on the screen right away, right? Mm. And also abstract away from, from programming, which I think ultimately is really. Really important to to democratize access to computation and visualization in general. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to ask you. Um, I think we have to wrap it up soon. But if I want to get started with this kind of work, right? So I, I've been doing data visualization for a very long time myself, but never, I, I wouldn't say I've ever done data art and definitely not generative programming of any sorts. So mm. if I want to start playing with it and, uh, and learn something, how, how, where do I start? How do I learn it? And also what would you suggest would be the, maybe the best set of tools to start with as well?
0: Right. Um, so my first choice definitely would be the generative Gestaltung book oh, made okay. by o- yep. informative and friends. Yeah. Which is, Sounds it was just German. Yes. <laughs> it was, it, w- uh, it was meant for processing and they recently released a second edition for P5 JS. So, you know, it runs on the web and it goes from very classical Generative algorithms based on randomness in iteration to, uh, generative text and uh, manipulating images and so on. So it's really solid base for for, for getting started. And
1: it was co-written by uh, Benedict Gross, by the way, who we had on the show. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a couple yes. of episodes back, a few years back, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's a great book. I, I gave it my kids as well. It's it's actually it it it's a great book also for getting uh, children uh, like or yeah like ten to twelve years interested to, yeah. into into coding yeah because it's very yeah. visual. The algorithms yeah. are explained. It's it's super nice. Yeah, I mean, yeah. many of the concepts are like over your head at that age, but you get a grasp of what's possible. It's super cool.
0: Yeah, uh, exactly. And um, well, I would that at this point, I would immediately say I would stick to 2D. To because mm-hmm. jumping in 3D, mm. it's, you know, it's a big enough hole on its own that might never come back from there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, like, uh, even with libraries like JS, yeah, ThreeJS, there's shaders, meshes, materials, mm. cameras, lights, yeah. photography, knowledge is very useful at that point. Uh, and it, 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 it's a field on its own. And you, you can do so much with, with, with 2D and that comes nowadays for free with any browser. You can just use JavaScript and yeah. HTML canvas. And I will send some links to even like start getting started by Mozilla, like with, you know, you open a browser and text editor, and you're ready to go. Yeah. And then probably Matt Deloria, he did a Frontend Mother's course recently online, which I think is a good starting point as well. Uh, for beginners and, and has of course GitHub
1: repos also with tools that are like get you started quickly. Uh, yeah,
0: exactly. And then another classic is Daniel Schiffman nature of code book, which, uh, also talks about generative design, but also simulations agents and mm. on his YouTube channel, he is doing even some machine learning these days and, the coding train. com, I think it's called, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's quite funny, but Dan, Dan
1: is quite an original, you'll see <laughs> if you, if you don't know him, check him out for sure. He's, he's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And,
0: and I, I guess in, in parallel, I would look at the history of computer art because that one is older than many might think, you know, like 50, 60 years old and more, mm-hmm. and it it was simple. It was procedural. It was. It is all about ideas uh, uh, and process and kind of algorithmic thinking and rule-based systems and that very well works with data visualization because we can uh, plug in some of the parameters into data set and you get instant data art with not much struggle with, with WebGL and shaders and, <laughs> yeah. and, yeah. and people like Matt or... Inconvergent, they're going quite far with just those basic tools and just having Mm -hmm. creative ideas and uh, iterating on the system or the systems they design and uh, getting unexpected results out of it. Mm -hmm. So that's how. And and the beautiful thing with just playing with code and
1: seeing what visuals you can create with it is you can iterate rapidly, really. So Mm. I, I have to think of Zach Lieberman, who has been. Like uh, two years ago or so, I think he just started every day doing something for half an hour or an hour and just mm. putting out these sketches uh, one after the other. And often I dream of that because we always have these heavy data sets, so much parsing and everything takes forever. And yeah. if you just play with shapes, you can like, you know, quickly produce stuff and change it <laughs> up. And uh, I'm envious sometimes. <laughs> yeah. 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 So maybe we should all do that more, like just, just experiment
0: with uh, visuals, right? Yeah. Well, there's this thing called code November, which mm-hmm. is like month of experiments where mm-hmm. people post like set of key phrases, different one for each day. And then you're trying to produce something in a limited yeah, that's time, great. Yeah. which I produce some of my best personal work during that time because yeah. you're just free, you know. You don't you don't care. You, you finally have the kind of the chance to to do those things you always wanted, and yeah. and you, you stop. And it's good to stop sometimes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you have a limited time to produce something or limited resources in some form, and on yeah. the other hand, inside that box, lots of freedom. That's perfect recipe for creativity. It's all about const- <laughs> constraints. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah the endless uh, the or the eternal like fight (laughs) cool thanks so much that was amazing i hope we were able to convince people that it's a bit more about data art than just leaving away the labels
0: (laughs) at least Uh, it's more work for sure can can we add labels is the second most common questions (laughs) (laughs) that's another episode labels cost extra (laughs) yes another episode very
1: good wonderful yeah and uh as I said, check out uh, Martin's work and the studio's work at Variable.io, and really looking forward to see um, what you'll you'll be able to come up with in the future. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you. It's great to be here. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye. Hey folks, thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, a few last notes. This show is crowdfunded and you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash datastories where we publish monthly previews of upcoming episodes for our supporters. Or you can also send us a one-time donation via PayPal at paypal.me slash datastories.
2: Or as a free way to support the show, if you can spend a couple of minutes reading us on iTunes, that would be very helpful as well. And here's some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, so follow us there for the latest updates. We have also a Slack channel where you can chat with us directly. And to sign up, go to our own page at datastory.es, and there you'll find a button at the bottom of the page.
1: And there you can also subscribe to our email newsletter if you want to get news directly
2: into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish a new episode. That's right. And we love to get in touch with our listeners. So let us know if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or know any amazing people you want us to invite or even have any project you want us to talk about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Don't hesitate to get in touch. Just send us an email at mail at That's
2: all for now, see you next time, and thanks for listening to Data Stories.